This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, everybody ready? Okay, go, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us this morning. Goodness to make a beautiful day. Goodness to save us from our sins. And goodness now to teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, see we are making progress here. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to consider this morning the first uh, four verses here of uh, Matthew 10. And really, these verses tie in with the last chapter, with the last verses of the last chapter, and we'll be looking at that. But uh, for now, um, as a matter of fact, I think we're going to start there in the uh, chapter 9, verse 36. We're going to read chapter 9, verses 36 through the end there, verse 38, and then continuing on to the first four verses of chapter 10. Okay, this is the way it goes. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, when we take this chapter 10 in the context of chapter 9, what we've seen here is that the Lord has seen this multitude. He saw them in a special way. He saw them as those that were fainting, as those that were scattered, and as sheep, as it puts it here, as having no shepherd. And he sees us people in this state, 
And as he sees them, you can't help but think that he's thinking in his mind, I'm looking at Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6, which says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So he sees his people, he sees them as destroyed for lack of knowledge. Destroyed because they don't know who they are. They don't realize that they are dirty, rotten sinners. They're destroyed because of that lack of knowledge. They're destroyed because they don't know who God is. They don't know that God is a rescuer of dirty, rotten sinners. They're destroyed because they've rejected the knowledge of God, as he said. He's laid that out for him, the knowledge of God in the scriptures. They rejected it. And because they rejected the knowledge of God, God rejected them. And they're destroyed because they forgot God. They've forgotten God, as it says in Hosea 4, 6. And because they have forgotten God, God has forgotten them. So he sees this multitude in this terrible state of being destroyed. And from the depths of his soul, as he sees this, he's silently crying out. He's crying out. He's saying, no. He's saying, there must be a person to stop this destruction. There must be a man who's described in Ezekiel 22.30. Ezekiel 22.30, which says, God says, I looked for a man, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. God says that. And in his soul, he's saying, there must be a man among them who will be a wall of protection against all this destruction, who's going to stand in the gap to stop God from destroying his people. In that verse in Ezekiel 22:30, I didn't read it, but it ends by saying, God saying, I found none. So because of this, he's saying, I'm going to be the man. And now as the disciples are now doing what he's told them to do, which is pray the Lord of the harvest, that he's going to send forth laborers into his harvest. So they're praying that way. Little did 12 of them know that soon the Lord would point to them and say, you are the ones. You are the laborers being sent into God's harvest. So between this last verse in chapter 9 there and the first verse in chapter 10, the Lord now, where the last verse says, you know, pray the Lord of the harvest, he's going to send forth laborers. The next verse in chapter 10 says he calls 12. Between these two verses, there's a great decision that the Lord Jesus has to make. Now, in the last chapter there, in chapter, chapter 9, verse 37, and he's looking at the disciples as he's saying this. Pray the, we need, we need a, the, the harvest is plenteous. There's no laborers. Pray the Lord of the harvest. We, get, we need laborers. We need specific laborers. And as he's doing that, and he's looking over the disciples, he's thinking, which ones? Which ones will I choose to be elevated from the position of disciple to the position of apostle? So as the Lord, you can just see him there, as the Lord is scanning the faces of all these many disciples who are following him, we can imagine him saying to himself, is this the one? Is that one? Or maybe it's this one. How can I decide this? How can I decide it's this person, not that person? And you and I have been in a similar situation where we've had to make a decision, but we're just not sure what decision to make. Should I take this job? Or should I take that job? Should I ask this girl to marry me or that girl to marry me? 
reminds me of David. He went on, what's that thing called, eHarmony? He had four, four he was playing at the same time, four women. He was trying to decide which one to ask. You know? On the other hand, my son Joseph, who was so particular, he put down all these very, very specifics about, and, and they came back and said, sorry, we don't have a match for you. <laughs> okay, I, I diverge. All right. Should I go to this college or should I go to this university? And on and on the list goes. Important decisions that will have far-reaching consequences. How do you and I make those decisions? And which of the disciples is he going to choose to become apostles? Far-reaching consequences, a very important decision to make. What if the Lord made a mistake? What if the Lord chose a disciple who's going to turn out to be a traitor, which he did? What if, what, how is he to know which disciples to choose? That's the problem. How is he to know that it'll be good for him even if he chooses a disciple is going to betray him? How's he going to know that? How are you and I going to know to choose a, to make a choice of a, of a traitor that in the end his treachery will work for a tremendous good as it did in the case of the Lord, enabling him to become the Lamb of God? Well, clearly, the decision as to who to choose to become his disciples, very important decision for the Lord. And it was not a decision that the Lord took lightly. It wasn't one that he took carelessly. So how did he do it? How did he make his decision as to who to choose and who not to choose? So we're told that something very interesting that really is plugged right between the last verse of chapter 9 and the first verse of chapter 10, but it's not here in Matthew. Instead, it's in Luke 6.12. In Luke 6.12, which is the parallel passage for this, we're given some information which helps us to understand how he made his decision. Because in Luke 6.12 through 13, it says, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. So, First thing that the Lord did is he changed his location. He changed his location. Now, we're told that he went into a mountain, and there were just two kind of locations, two places that the Lord loved to resort to. He loved to go to, especially when he had to get alone with God, get the mind of God, make the right decision, be directed. And those two places were the mountains and the deserts. He loved the mountains. Those were his favorite places, the mountains and the deserts. Mark 6, 46. Mark 6, 46, when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. John 6, 15, John 6, 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Matthew 14, 13, Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place, apart. Mark 6, 31, 6, 31, he said unto them, come ye selves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going. They had no leisure, so much as to eat. And on and on the list goes. Luke 4.42, 4.42, when it was day, he departed, went into a desert place. Luke 9.10, disciples, when they returned, told him all that they had done. He took them aside into a, privately into a desert place. He loved these places. He loved mountains. He loved desert places. He loved to go there. There were places where, which were free from people. There weren't all these interruptions going to happen there. That's what I love about Loretto in Baja California down there. It's essentially a desert where the mountains come right down into the desert, and 
and then blends then into the ocean. In fact, they say what they say about the place is Loretto is the place where the mountains come down to the beach to play in the sea. But there's kind of a, a peaceful magnificence to mountains and deserts. I mean, there's kind of a, a special, like a grandeur that sort of, you know, like Palm Springs. We have this desert and all of a sudden the mountain just rises right up out of it. In a place like that, it's a place for like lifting up the eyes. Lifting up the eyes, lifting up the eyes. You know, lifting up the eyes can be a therapeutic relief from all the pressures and the burdens and the anxieties that you and I are faced with. And Psalm 121 puts this therapeutic relief beautifully when it says in Psalm 121.1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. So as the Lord is now among all these very needy multitudes, scattered and sheep without a shepherd, and it's breaking his heart, and it's weighing him down with their troubles are weighing him down, and the decision he's got on his shoulders of which disciples to choose as apostles, we can imagine the Lord saying, for this important decision, I need the help of God. And we can imagine the Lord knowing he needs the help of God. He's leaving the city. He's coming now to the mountain and as the Lord lifts up his eyes to this mountain that he's heading toward, we can imagine him saying, Psalm 121.1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. We can imagine the Lord saying to himself, with this heavy decision that I've got to make, I need the help of God. And now as I see this mountain in front of me, will you and I say, I got no problems. I got no problems because my help is gonna come from the Lord who made this mountain. My help will come from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And sometimes when you and I are just pressed with a heavy load and, and we need the help of God, it's a good time to take off for Laguna Mountains or for Ocotillo or for Borrego or for El Centro, wherever, just to get into that Psalm 121 spirit of my help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. You know, the Jewish people at that time, they realized the value of having special places of prayer away from it all, away from it all. So the Jewish people had these places of prayer at that time, they called them oratories, oratories, and they were built outside the city usually where people could go to pray. They were built on hillsides or in valleys or along banks of rivers, and that's what we see in Acts 16.13, Acts 16.13, where it says, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. That was one of those places. That was an oratory. And we sat down and spake unto the women, which resorted thither. So when it was time for him to make this choice about which disciples he would call to be apostles, he goes out into this mountain and continues there all night, all night in prayer. Not just a simple, Father, please show me who I've got to choose as apostles. He spent all night in prayer all night in prayer. And when we see the Lord doing that, it raises a question in our mind. The question is, wait a minute, I don't get it. Since he is God, why does he need to pray? And the answer is because he's man. He's man also. And as man, he ate food to stay alive. And God doesn't need to eat food to stay alive. And as a man, he prayed. So we see him here on this mountain. He's spending all night in prayer. And then when we see that, then we think that later on, he teaches in Luke 18.1, Luke 18.1, he says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
and we can almost see him saying, man, I always to pray not to faint. And then we can see him saying, and I, I do, I did, I do. Okay, now, we look at verse one. There are two very important words that are used in verse one that describe this calling of these disciples to become apostles, and it's Matthew 10.1, Matthew 10.1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, those are important words, unto him, unto him. They're important because, and especially that unto him is emphasized in the parallel passage of Mark, Mark 3.13. Mark 3.13, the other parallel passage, it says like this, and, and just listen all the time, it says unto him. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So from that passage, it couldn't be more clear where they were called unto him and they came to him and their destiny was to be ordained to be with him. See, before their calling to be apostles, their calling was to him, but before their coming, they were with him. But now it was all different, and now it was special, because now there's an emphasis that they're called to him, they're coming to him, and they're ordained to be with him. And in the way this is structured in this verse here, in Mark 3, 14 through 15, this unto him is a requirement for that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. In other words, from this passage in Mark 3, 13 through 15, it makes it clear that those apostles saw themselves as being called to him, as coming to him, as being ordained to be with him, and unless they saw their lives essentially tied to being with him, he could not send them forth to preach. They could not have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And this is the downfall of many an able preacher and teacher. The downfall of not seeing their life work, their life work as being with the Lord Jesus. The downfall of many an able preacher and teacher is that they see their life work as preaching and teaching as opposed to seeing their life work as being with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what made Pastor Jim Mader get so right. This is what he got so right in life. He used to spend three hours in prayer. We're walking up and down this little hallway here. Three hours in prayer, particularly for the Jewish people, he didn't see his work, his life work, as being a preacher from this pulpit. He didn't see his life work as being a missionary to the Jewish people. He saw his life work as being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where the church of Ephesus got it wrong. This is where the church of Ephesus went so wrong when it says in Revelation 2.1, Revelation 2.1 through 6, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience 
and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, now, I want you to picture this. Let's say that you have just moved to Ephesus and you've arrived in Ephesus and you're looking for a church. You're looking for a place where you can become a part of a group of believers. And let's say that you've come to this fellowship of the church of Ephesus and you wanna know more about it. So you walk in there and you start to ask some questions. You find somebody who's in the know in the church there at Ephesus and you say, so what is your church all about? And you say, what are the distinctives of your church? What makes your church, well, how do you, how do you see your identity? How do you as a church see your identity? So we know the answers that you, that you would get if you ask those questions because in Revelation 2, the passage just read, that one answer is that we see ourselves as patient workers for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true about the church from Revelation 2, 2 through 3. Another one would say, well, our identity here at the Church of Ephesus is that we strive to be a holy church. We don't tolerate evil people in our fellowship. That's true about their church from Revelation 2, 2. Another person would come up to you and say, well, we are the church of truth and good doctrine, and we weed out anyone in this group that's teaching falsehood. That's true about that church from Revelation 2, 3. Well, we are the church that hates what God hates. That's true about that church from Revelation 2.6. This is what the church of emphasis was all about. They were all about patient working for the Lord, being pure from evil, adhering to truth, and holding on to good doctrine, hating what God hates. All of that was true, but, and when God looked at this church, God said, the church of Ephesus is a fallen church. That's what God said in Revelation 2.5. He would say the church of Ephesus is a church that needs to repent. That's what it says in Revelation 2.5. He would say the church of Ephesus is a church that I am against. That's what it says in Revelation 2.4. He says the church of Ephesus is about to lose their prominence as a church. That's what he said in Revelation 2.5. Now, when we see what the Church of Revelation Ephesus says about themselves, which is true, we see about what God says about the Church of Ephesus, and we say, huh? I don't get it. What's wrong with a church that patiently works for God, that is pure from evil, that adheres to truth and good doctrine, that hates what God hates? What's wrong with that church? How can there be such a disconnect between how you and I see the church and how God sees that church? How exactly is that church, a fallen church, a church that God's against and needs to repent and is about to be a, become a losing church? And God says that very clearly, the problem with the church of Ephesus is verse four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Well, what is their first love? What is their first love that the church of Ephesus left? It's not what of their first love, it's who 
is their first love, and the who is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.